All right, let's get this going. Blair and Barker for Thursday. Jeff Blair and Kevin Barker. 107 is the first pitch today. The Jays and the Phillies. Your Jays lineup is as follows. Springer, Guerrero, Kirk, Kiermaier, Escobar, Horowitz, Kiner, Falefa, Jimenez, Alan Rodon in, Rodin in left field. Jose Berrios on the mound for the Blue Jays with a new weapon. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Also going to talk about George Springer making his spring debut. Some interesting comments from John Schneider, the manager of the Blue Jays, mm-hmm. uh, about an hour ago. Um, we will get to that. David Sampson joins us. He's host of Nothing Personal, the podcast with David Sampson. We're going to uh, talk a little bit about the free agent market as it still stands. <laughs> Thought it was funny yesterday. Cody Bellinger's news conference, Scott Boris. Talked about every free agent market is a little bit like Thanksgiving dinner. You got to stick the turkey in and test it. (laughs) Only he can say that. Only he can say that. (laughs) I mean, no one. He says like cooking a turkey. You know, yeah, you got the instructions, but you know, you gotta you gotta adapt. You gotta take a team wide approach to turkey kick. uh, Turkey. Yeah, I would say the other four guys that matter that the names that he has don't care about the turkey anymore. I don't think they. They want the money. Yeah, <laughs> they don't care about the turkey anymore. Scott Boris says there are irregularities in the market. Eleven teams spending less money than a year ago, despite record revenues. Boy, it is like just an excuse after just one after another. I right? do love Scott. That's what I, I do I love me some Scott Boris. That, I really every do. once in a while, you just you you sort of you see the lips moving. No, you always you just don't. You do you really? Oh hell yeah! Oh, uh, the Jays beat the Rays three two. Oh, yeah. Yesterday, they can sleep better at night. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Barker's got some stuff to say about David Schneider. You're going to want to stick around for that. I don't know what it is, but he instructed me to say, we got to talk about Schneider. And I said, John, he goes, no, the other Schneider. So we got to talk about David Schneider and, and, and we will do that in a few minutes as well. I'm sure Kevin's got very positive, uplifting things to say about <laughs> David Schneider. Normally when Barker comes in and says, we got to talk about, or it's more likely we got to talk about. When huh. he comes in and says, we got to talk about it, it usually means something's got under his, got under his what skin. What happens when you're on a good team, you got to be good. If you're it's not, like, we have to talk about you. It's like you get a little burr up your ass Life. or something every now and then. Um, so I have no idea where it's going to go, but we will talk about, we will talk about Davis Schneider uh, before David Sampson joins us. Nah, it's us. not that bad. I'm just used to it. <laughs> Uh, but let's not waste any time before we let Mr. Barker rip Davis Schneider to shreds. <laughs> let's bring in the mayor. Oh, he's my fa- he's my favorite. He is your favorite. Oh, he is Sean Casey, MLB <laughs> Network Analyst. Most, most of, of the, the mayor's office. Uh, the mayor's office, by the way, recently celebrated its 400th episode. Oh, it's the best show going. Crack some champagne, or I mean, how, how'd you celebrate? Yeah. Well, you know what? That's really great. I appreciate that. First off, it's great to be on with you guys. I can't believe Barker's ripped at David Schneider. Anyway, yeah. Um, no, no. Four hundredth episode for our mayor's office. It was uh, big, been incredible because I feel like I came on with you guys when we were at episode five. I was like, "Can you promote the mayor's office podcast, please?" <laughs> yeah, I've never been you know, asked to come got, on that and, show. I mean, you've been on my show <laughs> how many watched, times? I've never. You never asked me to come on your show. What's going on with that, dude? I'm gonna. Well, listen, you're so big in Toronto, too. I must go. admit, though, I must admit, we do have some fans from Canada that we can tell who's tracking. So a lot of fans are 
watching uh, the Mayor's Office podcast from from Canada, probably Toronto. So we thank you guys for helping. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, no worries. It's a it's it's a great uh, it's a great it podcast. Wonderful. It's a great product. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, we did. We, we also just had Judge on a couple weeks ago, which was a great interview, and we got Christian Yelich coming on tomorrow. So we're trying to get obviously the, the players that are that are yeah, current players like you guys get on. I mean, you guys are big time. We're trying to get there. Nice. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. Aaron Judge. I mean, now I'm I'm still convinced that your stint as Yankees hitting coach, one of the reasons was to get guests on. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm still that's convinced. Fair. That's, that's fair to and say. And I'm not saying there's anything, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that as a pejorative. It's a, it's a ratings getter. I know. Don't worry about it. I'll I'll fix it. Uh, <laughs> oh my yeah. God, a, yeah, you're right, guys. That's why I did it. I went to, I went to, I became the Yankees hitting coach, so I get some uh, guys on on the Mayor's Office podcast. Okay, let's jump into this. <laughs> I, I know you just had Judge on, and the conversations being had. Are, are different now than they were when we played. I can remember Rod Carew walked by me one time after we'd worked on something in the cage forever, and I basically didn't do what we'd worked on, and he basically told me to, you know, in so many words, to get my head out of my derriere and start listening to what he's saying. And I listened to that conversation you had with Judge. You just have to have them differently now. And the reason why I'm saying this is, is there's a dude here in Blue Jay land that plays first base for them. That, quite frankly, offensively, when it comes to hitting fastballs, Sean, just ain't doing it. I mean, between 2021 and last year, the batting average against fastballs has went down like 80 points. It went from like 360 Vladdy to two. you're talking yeah, about, two, obviously. Yeah, well, there's only one guy that plays first in Blue Jay land. I mean, everybody knows who that I is. I just figured I said Yeah. That. Why is that? How can you have a conversation with a guy to basically – because I, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to take a guy serious that wants to talk – about himself the way Vladdy does, he's got to start hitting the fastball more. Like, he's got to start hitting more homers. And I think he had 12 homers off fastballs last year. How's the conversation had with a guy like that behind the scenes to get him going on the fastball a little bit more? Well, what, what is Vlad? Is he 23? 24. 20, 24 years old. All right. I, I mean, I, even to tell you the truth, guys, go look at Otani's numbers on the fastball for a few years there. It was like 204, 217. Next thing you know, it's it's at, at an elite level, and he's become like the best one of the best hitters in the game. I think one thing when I look at Vlad, the bat speeds there, the exit velos there, all that stuff. We know that stuff. I just feel like I feel like for him, Bark, it's going to be like there's going to be one thing that you know gets him on that fastball better, and he's going to because he has every. It's not like he doesn't have the bat speed. It's not like he doesn't have the eye hand coordination to hit the fastball. It's like. And, and teams are going at him more hard with hard stuff. So I feel like as soon as he sh- proves he can hit that pitch, at tw- he's only 24 years old, I believe that's when you're going to see him get back to when we were talking about a couple years ago and being the runner-up to the MVP. How do you have a tough conversation? If you were the hitting coach for the Toronto Blue Jays, how would you walk by and go, hey, this is what you did in 21. This is why you had the great season. You haven't had great season since then. My opinion is because you're not hitting the fastball for whatever reason, whether it's you're looking curveball, you're not ready to hit it. I know Casey 101, be ready to hit the heater. Be on time to hit it. A lot of the times he doesn't look that way. How would you have the conversation? Would it be nice? Would it be mean? Would you have to be mean? Or could you be mean to a guy at 24 in 2024? Well, I don't know. Yeah, I think you're right. It's different. I think you know, the Rod Carew approach of like, hey, Bark, <laughs> get, your, get your head out of your butt and freaking do what I say. I'm Rod Carew. You're yeah, Kevin Barker. Let's absolutely. go. Get a, get a hold of yourself. You know, but but I think, I, you know, I, I think one thing that's good too is that Mattingly's 
kind of going into the, going into the hitting realm too a little bit here, you know, um, to help out with those guys. I think that's going to be a good thing for that for that lineup top to bottom. But I think with a, you know to hit the fastball at the big league level, a lot of guys like to go to that upper rail, especially with two strikes. You know what I mean? And they're attacking Vladdy there. I don't. I'd like to ask him, like, because I, I really do believe, like, listen, hunt the fastball and work off it, right? If you're guessing up there in the big leagues, you're going to get eaten up. I, I believe that, you know, unless a guy's like guys are throwing, unless a guy's 54% slider. But I think more than anything, you're attacking a quadrant. Like, I want. I'd like to know: Are you trying to hit everything, or are you are you pushing them up, pushing them out, hunting something out over the plate, and are you hunting the fastball? Because I think guys that aren't on the fastball aren't on time. You have to be on time for the fastball so you can hit everything else. Yeah. Sean, um, obviously the, the Yankees made a significant, two significant acquisitions in the off season. Juan Soto, number one, Alex Verdugo as well. And we got to see in the, uh, I guess on Sunday, sort of what, what the top of that lineup may look Ooh. like with, uh, with, with Soto and judge. Um, you know, I understand the Yankees, for whatever reason, have had an issue, it seems, with left-handed, left-handed power in recent years. I mean, it's just the composition of the team. But watching that game, Kevin and I were talking to each other, and I said, like, it's a scary thought, isn't it? Juan Soto in that lineup, in that ballpark. And even Alex Verdugo. I know they want to put DJ LeMayu at the top uh, of, the, uh, of the order. That's what Aaron is saying. And Verdugo may be up there sometime, but... I mean, I just think they're going to be such a good offensive team. I mean, they really needed to make that adjustment because even last year when I was there, we were so right-handed dominant. So you get you get really susceptible to the to the sinker slider guys. You know, the guys that can buzzsaw you in and crisscross the plate with the slider. Yeah, I just think having Juan Soto and Verdugo in that lineup just you know it, it really makes them way more dynamic. And when you're talking about Soto and Judge being two three. I mean, almost feel like, okay, you don't want to pitch a soda, you got to pitch a judge. And then you've got, you know, Rizzo looks really good. I think the two guys that people kind of forget about are, are I think LeMahieu is going to have a huge year. They say he came in in some great shape. He's driving the ball to right center again. He's moving a lot better. Did a ton of work in the offseason. And don't forget about Glaber Torres. Mm. At one point last year, he was their best hitter in the second half. He had over 900 OPS in the last two months. I mean, this guy can, add, can flat out rate too. So, Top to bottom with Verdugo in there too. You know, I think Volpe's going to have a great year. I mean, they have a lot of good firepower in that lineup. Um, and I think they're, they got a lot better. And, and when you watch Juan Soto, I think it was against you guys, hit that ball to left center, mm, you know, look like a power hitting righty hit it. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty impressive. So they're, they're, they're way better than they were last year. Sean, I remember being in Tampa like five or six, seven years ago. Uh, Glaber Torres was playing against the Blue Jays. Um, he had done something the day before in a game, but he was the story. Like he was the story of camp that particular day. And I remember people talking about, boy, this guy's part of that next Yankee core, right? The, he, he's going to be, and he's not going to be Jeter necessarily, but he's going to be there forever and they can build around him and all that. And look, he's, he's far from being a horrible player, but what what is Glaber Torres? Because it's there are guys they just seem he seems to leave me wanting more right when I watch him play. I come away thinking, man, there's something there, but God, there's got to be more in there as well. I I, I honestly think I, I think the biggest thing with Glaber is defensively we look at him and go, you know, he could be a liability in the field. Mm-hmm. I think if Glaber puts some more time into the field, he would be an elite player. 
also, too, watching Glaber play every day last year, I'm telling you, Yankee Stadium is not a great place. It's not a home run hitting park. I know everyone talks about the short porch and right, but as Barker knows, if you watch great big league hitters, no one's trying to really pull the ball as a lefty into that thing. Now, they will run into a couple, but at the end of the day, that right center gap and left center gap are bombs. I mean, so many balls I watch Glaber cover balls to right center where I really believe in other parks they'd be they'd be gone. So you'd be talking about a 30-plus mm. home run guy, and some of those balls die to right field. So I think there's more in the tank for Glaber, and I think a big reason we don't think he's an elite player is because defensively, you know, he's not at that level. Okay, so how about Isaiah Connor falefa Forget about the person. We know he's a good dude. He's been on our show. He, you know, he can talk. Right. He, he, you can tell he's a good clubhouse guy. Uh, defensively, we so, sort of know what you're going to get. I mean, he's playing third. He's going to catch what he's supposed to catch. Outfield, he'll sort of do the same thing. Is there a ceiling offensively for him? Is there one thing you can point the finger at and say, you know, if he covers this, maybe it's the elevated fastball, maybe it's laying off the breaking ball. You were around him more than we were. What did you see from him? I think if you give Izzy every day at bats, you're going to see a different player. I think I think in New York he didn't get the at bats that he that he wanted. Uh, I, I think also too, I think his time, like in you know not playing all the time, he was able to really work on his swing and did a lot of work with Scotty too, like with Judgy and that kind of like instead of like pushing his hands to the ball, more like working behind the ball. Um, and and dude, Izzy's got some pop. He really does have some pop. So. You know, he's a reliable player. What I think of uh, of is he's a reliable player. When you put him out there, you know you're going to get great defense. You're going to get a guy that hits well with two strikes. There was times, Mark, when I he did the two strikes. I'm like, oh, good. He's got the pitcher right where he wants him. You know what I mean? He'd, he'd shoot one to right or something. So you guys are going to like Izzy, man. This guy's a good player, solid big league player. You know, I don't. he's not going to hit 20-plus home runs, but he's got some juice in there where he can hit the ball out of the ballpark. Um, but he plays hard every day. He wants to play every day. And he's a good teammate. So I think it was a good sign for the Blue Jays. Case, can you explain working behind the ball and especially on the elevated fastball? It's a thing now, right? You, I mean, you, I'm sure you tried to game plan against that. The Blue Jays are having a fit with that. I mean, you name a guy, they're sort of having to try and combat that. And you talk about working behind the ball. Can you do both? Can you work behind the ball and cover the elevated fastball at the same time? Well, I think, Mark, you know, I think you can get in trouble by like, trying to work uphill in the big leagues. You know, when you're working uphill and you think you're behind the ball, you're not hitting that elevated fastball. And I, I think, uh, obviously, this is a feel versus real conversation because nowadays, if, if you say anything, if I say anything on MLB Network or anywhere about getting on top of the ball, like, you know, they, they, people just come out and they start crushing you. And I'm like, well, it works. It yeah. works. Go ask Bond and A-Rod and, and, and you know, and, and Lance Berkman and Bregman, so many good, and, you know, Vlad, all these, some of the best players, Look at Bo Bichette when he does his, you know, T drills. He's working high T, driving the ball into the ground. You think he's not getting down on top of the ball? Mm-hmm. Of course he is. So I think to hit the elevated fastball, obviously you have to be behind the ball, but but it's the feel versus real. You still got to feel like you can cover it from the top down. And I'm not saying push your hands forward. I'm saying get your, get, you know, get your visually get on top of the baseball where if you are staying behind it, you're still on top of that ball where you could backspin it and drive it. Yeah. Case, really good of you to join us today, my friend. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I'll wait for the text to come on your show, too. I'll wait for it. You guys are the best. Kevin Barker coming soon to the Mayor's <laughs> Office podcast. No doubt. Maybe we'll get better ratings from the, from the people up in Canada. We appreciate everybody, everybody listening to the Mayor's Office Fingers podcast. Crossed. You guys say, are the best. I will say this, Sean. After getting Barker on, the Mayor's Office podcast will never be the same. Absolutely. <laughs>
<laughs> Could we lose ratings? Would we lose ratings if we got Barker on? That's what I wanted to <laughs> Take care, Sean. Be See well, you, my friend. Bye. All right. Uh, all right, guys. Tell Hayes I said hi, bro. Absolutely. Take care, man. This is Sean Casey, the mayor. Um, and uh, yeah, he was – you, know, you asked him about IKF. The day the deal was made, he was on MLB Network, and he was talking about him. And he said basically the same, the same thing he did about him offensively in that he is a guy that with regular playing time mm. – you know, again, I, I think we – Sean's pretty – he's not promising this guy's going to go to the All-Star game. But with regular playing time, getting down in the order – He's a guy that might be able to contribute offensively. Well, I mean, let's be honest. We were a little shocked about the number. The, the cost of him coming to Toronto was a bit steep. I think that's the first thing. You're thinking, okay, IKF can play multiple positions, give guys days off, hit the ball in the order. He can handle the bat. You're not two asking years the was, bat was more of 20 a, homers. Two years was more of, a, the, more of a thing for me than the dollar, well, it's the 15, the dollar number. So I mean, you got to admit, 15 is a big number for IKF. I mean, now there's a little something that comes with that. Seven and a half million a year. I mean, it I, is. The year he's coming off of offensively, what he didn't do, moving positions. Basically, the Yankees are telling you you can't play short. Like, there's some things there. Like, he's got a little few things to prove. And I don't know offensively if he's going to give you. I don't know what he's going to give you. Like, I, you know, I think he can stay behind the ball and hit a 17 hopper to right. Yeah, I think he can do some hit and run things. Maybe can bunt. I think he can do that more than... Staying in the big part of the mm. field, mm-hmm. hitting a bunch of doubles. Like, I'm just not sure what you're going to get. So, for me, it's about playing more defense than offense if everybody else right. is doing their thing. If right. everybody else is doing their thing, the See line's that? not going to be shown on so much of him what he's not doing offensively. And fingers crossed for him, that happens. Yeah, that that's you – know, when you look at the Jays lineup, it's pretty clear that if everybody else – I and I think it's – I just don't believe for a second that everybody in this team is going to have a career year offensively. It generally doesn't work that way. But if they can get more out of the core guys, then you can put up with whatever IKF gives you offensively, knowing that he's going to give you, knowing that he's going to give you good, good defense. Uh, but uh, I'm still, I just, I am, I would love to know if the Jays have gone back to Matt Chapman in the last three days. Like, the more I look at that contract that Bellinger got, it's not like you're going to block anybody by having Chapman here because of Relvis Martinez. They've, they've pretty much indicated they think Relvis Martinez is going to be a second baseman. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I'd be, I'd, I mean, I'd, I'd be interested in knowing. I don't think you, you, you wouldn't be doing your job if you didn't. No, and, it's the and number. then you get into, yeah. We know who exactly. his agent is. It's his number. What do they still feel about what kind of player he is and how much he costs? I mean, uh, you giving him three years? Well, he's going to have to have, no, he's going to have to, it's going to have to be one year with a bunch of opt-outs. There you go. It's, it's going to have to be that. Yeah. that that's, it's going to have to be a, a, a Cody Bellinger deal for less money. He's got to prove things. Um, 107 is the first pitch today. The Jays are taking on the Philadelphia Phillies. Jose Barrios will make the start for the Blue Jays. And guess what, everybody? He's got a new pitch, according to John Schneider. 
adding the cutter will do what for his game? I think it just gets in on lefties a little bit. He's got such a good two-seamer that he can front hip on lefties, and I think having another pitch go in the other direction on those guys is, is big. Um, or just righties when he's kind of you know behind or even in counts trying to pitch to some uh, weak contact. You know, I think it's cool that you know all of our guys that are established, they're trying to keep evolving a little bit with uh, what teams know they do. Um, so I think it's just certain counts using it today. There you go, Kevin. I, it, it is interesting as, as spring training goes on. Generally, the first outing, it, it's kind of one of the spring training storylines as you find out guys are working at things. Grayson Rodriguez yesterday, I don't know if you saw it. Grayson Rodriguez threw a lot of two-seam fastballs. Didn't do that last year. Trying to get more comfortable yeah, Greg, using using the two I guess. using I the mean, two Greg, seamer. Grayson throws a bazillion miles an hour. He's not Jose but, uh, Barrios. Okay, but what, no, but what I'm saying is pitchers pitchers do you know, pitchers do deve- do develop new pitches or work on new pitches. It's not really a new pitch, but work on something to add to their arsenal. What what is that going to do? For Jose Barrios. Okay, Kyrie. just by looking at raw numbers. Last year, lefties hit 261. 16 of the 25 homers he gave up were against lefties. In 2022, lefties hit 298. 20 of the 29 homers were off of lefties. For me, sometimes you don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. The front hit two seamer to a lefty, that's a trickery pitch. He ain't going to throw that 0-1. He ain't going to throw that 1-1. He ain't going to throw that all the time. He's going to trick. That's a trickery pitch. That's to try and freeze you to basically have a lefty give up on that. You, now you can throw that feeding off a four-seamer. I, if I go up and into a lefty you have a four-seamer, I can tunnel a cutter the same way as my four-seamer, but have it move. And now I get the lefty in swing mode. I can get some cheap, easy outs by getting some weak contact. That's what it is. And now you're getting better left-handed hitters in the American League East, right? The 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 Orioles lefties are a year older. Ah. Uh. Soto. The Soto's coming. How do you get yeah. Soto out in a big moment in the sixth inning with a dude at second? How do you do it? Well, maybe you throw that cutter to him. little element of surprise. You, you know, you're trying to get a weak ground ball to second or to Vladdy, whatever the case is. So it's sort of that thing, right? You, you've, you've graduated from having a consistent delivery to where you can look the same all the time, have the same spin on the slurve that you want. You can do whatever you want. Steal a strike, eliminate a dude, throw it to a lefty. Obviously, the sinker slurp to righties is how you're trying to do these things. You got that taken care of. Those are tough pitches. Arm angle, repeatability, where I'm standing on the rubber. You're a tough get for a righty. Lefty, look, if the slurp ain't working, you good hitting. Hmm. Now you've added this kind of wrinkle to the mix to where sort of the four-seamer, the 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 two sip the two seamer front hip thing to a lefty and the cutter is sort of all quadrants. Now I got it moving in all kinds of different directions. Just gives a good left-handed hitter something else to think about and gets you deeper into a game. That's the point where gives you now a little it more, makes it, well, it, it, makes it little easier on John Snyder to not screw it up. Yeah. Basically, now yeah. now I can I got a little bit more faith in him to get that tough lefty out, and you know he saw the same thing that we saw. Yeah. Well, why are you why are you taking me out against lefties? Nobody's ever heard of. Now I'm gonna go out and make a little change to where I'm making I was, it a little tougher. I on was you. not gonna look back at that playoff game against Minnesota. Well, but they, they go hand in hand. Don't I know. They? I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's it's but yeah. Sometimes maybe you know, there's it's a message for there. organizations and and managers just to get out of the way. 
Uh. And this makes it a little easier. Now, now what are you gonna do? What well, what if my cutter's working? Now, now what if my four seamer's working? Now, now what if my front hip two seamer's working? Now what if my slurve's working? What are you gonna do? Take me out? I now you can't so much. I understand. So I understand, and I I wanted I want to get to our next uh next question about George Springer, but I understand that you weren't a pitcher, you were a hitter. But you've probably had spring training where you were working on stuff, especially like early with the Brewers mm. as a hitter. Were you? Did you try anything new? And and what would, I guess, what would you have to see, Kevin, in spring training to tell you that ah, this isn't working? In other words, if I'm trying something new, whether it's I, you, I don't know if you necessarily had a new stance or anything, but I'm trying something new. Yeah. And it's, at what point do you say I'm cutting bait in this? It, it's just yeah, not working. I was a hunt fastball guy. I wasn't good enough to so it wasn't, okay. and look breaking ball. If right. I'd worked on something new, whether it was a leg kick, Rod Carew tried to get me a leg click, kick and, and fillet the, mm -hmm. the fish over the third baseman's head like he did a thousand times to have 3,000 hits. I never could do that. Right. And if I wasn't getting my foot down on time, if I took a fastball on a side session and I didn't feel like I could put my A swing on it, I'm eliminating that thing right out the gate because I was making a team. Mm -hmm. It wasn't no you going out and working on things and look like you never held a baseball bat in your hand before. I couldn't do that. I had to quickly make it. If I don't feel it and I don't feel like I can be competitive against your best fastball, I've eliminated that thing already and I've moved on. I, you don't see that a ton. Like you're not seeing that now because they handle young guys differently than they used to handle me. The Rod Carew walking by was no joke. Mm -hmm. Like you were afraid to hear it. And you didn't want to disappoint. It's not that way anymore. Like, they give you room to look like you've never played baseball before, and and they'll keep making excuses for you. They didn't do that when I played. I mean, that's just the reality of the fact. Maybe because they spend more money now on younger guys than they did when I played. Or they didn't have the resources they did then as they do now, right? They can tell you in a batting cage if your bat speed is the same with a leg kick as not having a leg kick. Like, they can tell you that, and you're more advanced. You feel a little bit more comfortable going in and bat passing and, and, you know, where your hands are ending up and how you can how it's supposed to look before you actually step between the lines. We didn't have that when I played. It was get in a cage, hit to your hands, bleed, and... If I feel like I'm comfortable enough to carry that over between the lines, I did it. But I had to be quicker to answer your question. Like, I was making the adjustments on the fly because I wanted to impress, because I wanted to be in the big leagues, make more money in the big leagues. Seems like we do nothing but talk about pitching early in spring training, which is probably no surprise because, as we say, spring training is all about pitching. But George Springer will make his spring debut today for the Toronto Blue Jays. And... uh well, John Schneider said George Springer has, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd say this is something he's working on, but I, I guess the better way to put it is there's a different point of emphasis for George Springer this spring. Has George been working on any, anything specifically that's caught your eye? I think just getting, you know, or not getting away from what he's been great at, you know, a um, little unlucky last year. I think if you look at numbers uh, from George and, um, you know, whether or not the lack of shifting had a, had a, a, you know, an effect on him where there's some more hits kind of the other way. He's, he's really good. He's elite when he's pulling the ball um, with authority. There you go. Yeah, I hint, got hint, hint. Yeah, I got from that. The hit 30 and drive in 90 yep. to the pool side. Never mind. Like, no. like, I think his percentage of pull rate went down almost 9% from, from 2022 to 2023. Look, he's getting older. Him hitting fly balls up the middle the other way, he ain't going to make much of a living. And it's going to look like 20 homers and 70 RBIs. 
That's Dalton Varsho. They don't need Dalton Varsho leading off in front of the people that he's leading off in front of. This is the thing, right? Do damage leading off. That's why we're leading you off is to get the head out and pull homers. I mean, John is the nice way of saying that's what we need from you. I mean, you can basically go through the order and say exactly what they need from certain guys. And from him, that's what they need. They need to pull percentage to go way up, not a little up. Stop worrying about where dudes are standing. Get your pitch. I mean, he's a guesser. Uh, the guessing is very hard to do and have that ball go where you want it to go. It is, I mean, it's he's a – I don't want to say he's an educated guesser, but, man, he guesses on a lot of pitches. It's not like one pitch I'm guessing and then I stop guessing. No, he's guessing in a bat. That's hard to do. It's hard to do that and have the ball go where you want it to go. So, I think that needs to be a little bit more refined. I think he needs to think – a little like Danny Jansen. I ain't making a living and helping this team with what I'm making, hitting everything to right field. Now, there's a time and a place for that, right? Late in the game, you know, it's a tie ball game, and you're just trying to drive in a run from second. Yeah, it's okay. Hit the little line drive to right. But other than that, it's time to get frisky, and I think that's what John's saying, that if they want to go where they want to go, his, you know, again, we said this, and it's warranted, that when he came here, because everybody that was around him, his season started in September and carried over into October. It's no longer like that. Like, Vladdy's not doing things and and is, you know, can Bo Bichette hit 40 and Dalton Varsho and, and guys they don't have to. Oscar's not here and Lawrence Gurriel Jr.'s not here. Like, he needs to, his actual season this year starts in April. Yeah. No, he he needs uh, he needs to be a contributor right out of the game. Absolutely, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And um, you know, it's been so far since George Springer has been here, money, i.e., his contract hasn't been an issue because the Jays have the Jays have had enough money to do what they need to do, and it hasn't all worked out. But by and large, they've had enough money to do what they need to do. Whether it was extending Jose Barrios or adding Kevin Gossman, Chris Bassett via free agency. Uh, and part of the reason they were able to do that, frankly, is because Bo and Vladdy were cheap. Mm-hmm. And having two of your core players being cheap, not earning a great deal of money, frees up, frees up a lot of money for everybody else. But, uh, you know, George Springer's at this point. The Jays are a year away from losing one or two of... Uh, of Bo and Vladdy, Bo or Vladdy. Both of them are free agents at the same time. At at some point, George Springer becomes, you look at George Springer and go, maybe we move off him. Maybe we pick up a year of that contract to get rid of him because we're either rebuilding or retooling. And if George Springer has another year like he had last year and his speed is, you know, no secret, his speed is diminishing. I mean, all the analytics will tell you that. Uh, you have to have a serious discussion about George Springer. You really do. I couldn't say it any better. David Sampson is host of Nothing Personal, the podcast with David Sampson. He will join us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, the fan and Sportsnet. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, I promised you some David Schneider stuff. We'll get to that in a few minutes. 
barely contained. Parker. Well, you act like it's it's the worst thing I've ever said. Well, it's not, but it's trying. <laughs> Trying to uh, trying to build that up and uh, trying yeah, to yeah. lure people yeah, in. You understand? I, I'm a David Snyder fan. Uh, 107 will be the first pitch today. On uh, it'll be streaming on Sportsnet.ca and on TV. The Jays lineup is as follows: Springer, Guerrero, Kirk, Kiermaier, Escobar, Horwitz, Kiner, Falefa, Jimenez, Roden, Jose Barrios on the mound for the Blue Jays. I believe Max Castillo is starting for the Philadelphia Phillies. The Jays and Phillies face each other like 163 times in spring training. I mean, it's across the street almost. Yeah. I don't know, man. Rather I miss do, spring do, training. You know well, what? You'd rather do that than drive an hour and 45 ah, minutes? I miss the old days where you'd drive across the state and play three games in the other side of the state. Anyway. Florida ain't it. Hmm. I suppose. David Sampson is host of Nothing Personal with David Sampson. He's a former president of the Florida, now Miami Marlins. Hello, Mr. Sampson. Hello, sir. How are you? Very good. Very good indeed. Uh, Scott Bo- is Scott Boris losing it? Is he losing his edge? Like poor Cody Bellinger. I I, I, David, I don't know how Cody Bellinger is going to make how, How's he going to eat? Yeah. I mean, that's the first thing I thought of. Mm. I, I just don't know. Do you remember when uh, Latrell Sprewell wouldn't sign a deal for like eight million bucks because he had a family to feed? <laughs> I do remember. It, that. Uh, yeah, that was a funny moment for me. But I would say this: I would be very scared if I were a fan of Major League Baseball, which I am, and I am. And I talked about it on today's Nothing Personal because if you read between the lines with what Boris did during that Bellinger press conference, he is alleging, in my opinion. He is alleging collusion. Mm -hmm. And he said the word, there are irregularities in the market. Yep. He mentioned there's 11 teams whose payrolls are down in in a record revenue sport. All the things he's doing are because all of his clients are unsigned because he overpromised to all of his clients. And what do you do when you fail? You put it onto somebody else and say, no, no, I didn't fail you, Cody. The system failed you. Illegal and improper activity failed you. It certainly wasn't the Boris Corporation. And what he was doing at the same time during this presser was talking to his other clients, Montgomery and Snell and Chapman, and saying, hey, the reason why you're not signed yet is this irregular market. So I'd be concerned, and I actually did an official wait to see that I think there's going to be a grievance filed mm. by the union over this off-season activity, which I think is a failing, losing grievance. But there's the, the union's looking for answers right now. Yeah, it, it's funny you said that because, I, I mean, the collusion hearings happened when I was covering baseball as a beat, and I can remember yeah. really getting into the weeds in that. And I, I also remember, you know, I've had, I've had people in the commissioner's office, not this group, but Donald Fear and, and uh, Michael Weiner, when he was there, and I had people tell me kind of off the record that, look, you know, we got to be careful sort of screaming collusion all the time. The owners are smarter now. Like, they understand what they don't have to do in order to not get nailed with collusion, right? This is a different, this is a different group of owners. It's, it's never going to happen again. We can scream about it. It's never going to happen, so we might as well not do it. it. That does create a challenge for Tony Clark, though, too, doesn't it? Because this could be a, this, this could be a, a collusion of common sense, David, more than anything else. So it's funny you say that because Tony's in a bit of a pickle 
because it's not like all the other agents are in love with Scott Boris. Right. They loathe him. And so they're not at all unhappy that the Boris clients are unsigned. And if you took a poll and gave them all truth serum, they would say, fantastic, you shouldn't have Boris as your agent anyway. So it's hard for Tony to get consensus for any sort of grievance or any sort of true feeling that there's something wrong going on because you look and what do all these players have in common? Yeah, Scott Boris. David, is there any ill effect from him trying to get clients going forward because I'm sure he made promises to all of these big name guys that whatever you think you're worth, I'm getting it. Like I, I you may not be worth that, but I, I'm promise you do because I've done it in the past. Any ill effects of that going forward? You think? Boy, did I spend hours and hours with Boris players wonder asking them, you know, why, why are you with him? Mm. Well, because he gets, he will get me the most money of any agent. And I say, well, no, that's a, not true. But B, if you're no longer one of the top players, you're going to be ignored, completely ignored by him. Are you ready for that? Because you think you're the, you know, you're the cat's meow at the moment. But there, there are so many other agents who will always be loyal to you, and he's just not one of them. And uh, so it's interesting. When a player is coming up, they say to their current agent who invested so much time and money into them when they were young players, not making any money. They spend so much time and energy trying not to get poached. And that's one of the problems in the agent business is that agents don't really make their money until a player goes to arbitration or free agency. And you're always trying to get other players. And what they do is they get their own players to convince the other players to come with them. And so there is so many distractions inside a clubhouse of players talking to players about their agent saying, oh, my agent gets me this, this, and this, and that, that, and that. Come to me. And it just, I hated that. And it's one thing I wish I could change, that once you have an agent, you have an agent, because it would stop all of the poaching, all the dishonest activities, and all the distractions. David, do you think potential free agents next year's group, and I'm thinking specifically of guys like that Scott represents, like Bregman, maybe Juan Soto. I'll leave Juan Soto aside for now. Garrett Cole. But in particular, a guy like Bregman, do you think that maybe this makes them a little more inclined to re-up with their current team, you know, as opposed to being well, as opposed to being that guy who is, what are we at, February 29th and still doesn't have a team? Hey, Boris has a rule. He'll let you re-up with your team, but it's got to be in the Strasbourg situation where it's a complete overpay. Right. So don't let him fool you into thinking that he doesn't let his players not get to free agency. He would always call us and say, hey, I don't need my player to go to free agency. Give, give me blank amounts, and you've got them. And the amount is always a record amount. So that, that's not the issue. Bregman, you know, is he thinking to himself, wow, they extended Jose – do they have the payroll capacity to extend me as well? And if so, why didn't they offer me when they offered Jose? So for Houston, what I'm looking for this season, I'm looking to see how Bregman does. And I don't just mean on the field, but off the field as well, because you want to make sure that there's no hurt feelings. Mm -hmm. And we all say we're adults and it's just business, but it is a thing. And Bregman started off great. He had a quote that said, I'm going to have the best year of my life. I feel the best I've ever felt. 
And that makes me feel as though Jim Crane spoke to Bregman and explained the situation, which is a theory that, that I always did. I was always honest with the players. Hey, we're not going to be resigning you, or we're not going to be able to get to the number you want. And let's just go play baseball. And it's possible that conversation was already had. David, when, whenever you're the Blue Jays and you obviously need an everyday third baseman, and, you know, up until this point, I would assume Matt Chapman was not in the conversation, but I'm assuming he probably is now. Is there a – when timing is everything, right? You're trying not to basically tick off the agent or the player by saying that number is a little lower than what it probably should be. Is, is that a thing with GMs? Is there a good time – to go into a guy and say, okay, I see what you're not getting. Is there a good time to go in and say, we'll give Matt Chapman one year at this number that probably would, we wouldn't give that number a couple of months ago. It's actually a good time to go to your owner. What GMs do now this time of year is they say, wow, I didn't think this guy would be available. Any chance you've got special money for me? Because I can go offer him a one-year deal for $22 million. It's barely more than a qualifying offer. And we can add Chapman, but it's a total add because we didn't expect to go over the payroll budget that you gave to us this offseason. So we would often get approached by the GM this time of year with players who are still around, whether they were you know, smaller free agents at a couple million dollars or as big as a $10 million or $20 million free agent. And it was always up to the owner. So that's what I think could be happening in Toronto where Rogers has to decide, all right, are we willing to go over budget? Are we one player away, quote unquote, from feeling really better about our team? Uh, because of the way this looks with optics wise, does baseball need a free agent deadline? I, I, I'm not sure I could have tried harder to get that. And uh, Rob was very clear that he's tried to get it as well. And Tony Clark was very clear that they'll never do it because they believe it will have a quashing impact on salaries. And I understand why the union says that. On the other hand, the union should be doing everything in its power to make baseball more popular and to make franchises worth more and make revenue go up and find a way to replace local TV revenue because owners want to win. They want to increase their payrolls. They just don't want to lose money every year. So a free agent deadline would be really important because then you can sell that free agent. Imagine signing a Cy Young Award winner in December or in March. Right now, the sales process is basically done. You're selling some season tickets, but the big selling that you do is in the offseason, corporate and ticket holders. And you'd love to be able to sell a new free agent signing. And you'd love to be able to own that week of winter meetings, make the winter meetings relevant again and have all these exciting deals that happen. So I understand why baseball wants it. And I really understand why the union doesn't. David, good stuff as always, my yeah. friend. Thank you for doing this. That's awesome. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. It's David Sampson, host of Nothing Personal, the podcast with David Sampson, former president of Florida Marlins. That's uh, an interesting take on the uh, yeah. on on the age thing, and and that is, you know, like I said ultimately uh, the determining factor or the thing that will determine how much of a negative impact this has on Scott Boris is if players start leaving him. Mm -hmm. I don't see it happening. I mean, in, in the long run, this is four or five guys. 
This is not however many yeah. clients that he's got a bazillion dollars for. Like, I mean, it's it's apples and oranges here, but there there is a little bit of that. He's right. It, it, there is a little bit of that in the in a locker room now, and you're thinking to yourself, yeah. man, there's some dudes here yeah. that don't have jobs yet that have the super agent. Why? Did you have, why is that? When you were a uh, hot prospect, now I know yeah. you were with Shapiro, did you have anybody try to say, come on, you come with our agent? No. Okay. I did, I, I, not that I remember. But you I probably... Mean, uh, and. Knowing your personality, you wouldn't be. It's like your antenna wouldn't be up about that anyhow. You'd be more concerned about trying to make trying to make the team. Yeah, right? I thought more about trying to get hits and hit a bunch of home runs and being all star right. games. And and I thought if I if I did that, I took care of my job. Everything yeah. else would take care of itself. Yeah. Now would I would have liked uh, the super agent? Absolutely. That's why I called him. I mean, I just know I'm not going to lie about it. Yeah. But I was shot down quickly, and then, hey. and then you move on. And, and I again, I was well taken care of. You know, my career ended because of me, not because anything my agent did. We spent a lot of time talking about how, how basically you could probably put together the Blue Jays roster right now. And, I mean, that happens in just about every, every team. You can go around every major league team and certainly put together the first 24. Now, I'm not going to make anything out of four spring games or anything like that. But we know that we haven't seen Kevin Biggio yet. He's apparently getting ready to, to play. He's had a shoulder issue. Mm-hmm. But look, we know that Santiago Espinal, David Schneider, Ernie Clement, Eduardo Escobar, I'm missing somebody. And that's maybe the I'm four not, guys. That's and then the, the two lefties, Horowitz, Horowitz and Vogelbach. Yeah. So, but there's kind of those four similar sort of infielder guys for two spots. For two spots. And I told you, and I said this going into spring, hey, to me, Ernie Clement makes the team because I like what he gives me he's defensively. Too. He's out of options. And he's at the point in his career where I'll trust him to spend three days on the bench and have to grab the bat and go in. Well, and, he's got a flat swing. Yeah, so that's one of the big things. Right. Davis Schneider burst onto the scene last year. Mm. Everybody loves Davis Schneider. Mm. Um. Is there a chance he doesn't make this team? Absolutely. For me right now, he's not on the team. He's got a giant hole in his swing. And if, and if you're wanting to sell, we're taking the best 26 north, he's not one of them. Now, I'm not saying three or four weeks into the season when he goes down and, and corrects posture issues. Explain the five, posture five, issues. Because you've been talking about this five all the time. Nine. He's 5'9". Five, like he, he's basically Santiago Espinal. Santiago Espinal is an, a straight up and down hitter, which means when he when he kicks the leg, he starts his swing. The posture from the waist up is not bent over, mm-hmm. and he's not c- trying to create loft in his swing. Now, it's no fault of David Schneider's. David Schneider basically was not, nobody knew who he was until he got called a big, let's be honest. Like you couldn't pick him out of a lineup. No, no offense to him. And he's thinking to himself, how do I get noticed? I got to create loft to the pull side. Easiest way to do that is, is have a bent upper half, have the barrel just do that, look for the ball down, create loft to the pull side, get the head out, and start hitting homers as a 5'9 dude. Okay. If I'm a khaki, he comes to the big leagues, he starts doing that to the pull side. Now I'm thinking to myself, uh-oh. We got to adjust to that dude. What do we do? Well, see if he can hit the elevated fastball. It's a thing now. You saw it, Batch, yesterday. He comes nowhere near it. It's not close. It's not even. I mean, you don't even have to get it up to get him out. It's a thing. 
And now it's between the ears because now you can see him overswinging. When you overswinging thinking that I can make up for a mechanical woe by a time, having better timing, by overswinging and maybe catching it out front a little bit more on time, you just swing and miss more and it gets between the ears more and it looks sort of the way it's looking now. It's a posture thing. It's sort of basically you remember Kevin Biggio when he was stinking. And I've said this, I mm-hmm. said this to you. I was the first person that says because uh, he's trying to get balls in the air to the pull side. He's been told that. You want to be noticed? Don't hit ground balls. Hit the ball to the pull side in the air. You can play second. You'd be a big leaguer for a very long time. You come off a bench. You're lefty. You could do those things. And then all of a sudden, the khaki said, hey, I see what you're doing. We're going to elevate the ball. And it made Kevin adjust. What's he do? He eliminates the leg kick. He stands taller through his swing. Until Davis Schneider does that, in my mind, this is just me talking, no offense, he's not a big leaguer. You go through it. I went through it. I didn't correct myself. I had trouble with plate awareness on the ball in. I didn't fix it. I was not a big leaguer anymore. It's up to him now. They're telling him, this is your deal. We know you can't hit it. We know you know you can't hit it. Now it's up to him to go in a cage and realize that and give himself a better chance. If I'm him, I look at videotape from Santiago Espinal. They're basically the same hitter. How does Santi do it? At least give himself a chance to do it. You have more power than Santi. Look at video, figure it out, and you'll be in the big leagues a long time. You don't, you won't. It's real simple. 107 is the first pitch. Jose Barrios makes his spring debut. Armed with a cutter this time. Springer, Guerrero, Kirk, Kiermaier, Escobar, Horowitz, IKF, Jimenez, Roden. That is a lineup. We'll be back tomorrow from 11 to noon Eastern on Sportsnet 590, the fan on Sportsnet. Have yourself a great day.